Hello, and welcome back to the Death and Grief Talk podcast. I'm your host, Joelle Maldonado, and I'm also known as the Grave Woman. Any professional that has experienced any type of success in life will tell you how important a mentor has been in their development and their desire to keep moving forward to achieve their goals and surpass milestones that they've achieved along the way. As a black woman in death care, having mentors that not only look like me, but share cultural and background similarities has been so important and pivotal in my career. Today, I have the honor of interviewing one of my mentors and beloved colleagues. This is Anita Grant, also known fondly in the digital space as the NBE Review Coach. Hello, Anita. Welcome to the Death and Grief Talk podcast. How are you? Doing well, Joelle. Thank you again for the invitation. I am so excited to talk to you because for those of you that are listening that may be new to the grave woman, Anita is my mentor in death care. She is very important to me because she is the reason that my career shifted from your everyday funeral director to funeral service educator. And you and I have talked about so many things as it relates to death care, racism and death care, disenfranchised grief, self-care, cultural competency in so many different areas. But Anita, I don't know a lot about what brought you to death care. So if you wouldn't mind sharing, how did you get into this industry? Absolutely. Sure. So um, as you know, Joelle, maybe your audience doesn't, my first degree um, and my first uh, license is as a registered nurse. So I was on a Navy scholarship um, out of my undergraduate program through um, the Medical University of South Carolina. And um, so that sort of started my federal career. And at 10 or 11 years into my service to um, as a Navy nurse, I decided that I would start planning for retirement. And um, in that research of what would I do if I chose not to do in, you know, kind of hands-on in-person nursing or nurse management, I sort of tripped across mortuary science and funeral service. It really, I, I was at a, a, um, an event. It was a, I think it was, um, either it was a recruitment event or something of that nature. And, um, one of the tables was, um, a mortuary science school. And so I got a chance to chat with them and confirmed what I sort of already knew that, that the course the structure of the courses, it is a anatomy, physiology, science-based curriculum. And I thought, well, I have that as a registered nurse, so that wouldn't be a difficult sort of transition. So I applied at the time I was living in in stationed in Massachusetts. I applied to Mount Ida College, which is in Newton, Mass. And that's where I started my, um, my formal mortuary science education. And unfortunately, I was not able to complete the program because I got orders to the D.C. area. So I graduated in 2012 from the University of the District of Columbia. So that's sort of how it really was just an interest on my part to prepare for retirement after the military and using sort of the foundation of education as a nurse. Yeah. So that's how I came about it. 
That's so interesting. And you're absolutely right. Not just the academic components of the two programs, but the compassion, the knowing how to communicate and have difficult conversations with people that they may not be ready for. I'm sure that that's a lot of what you did as a nurse. What was your specialty as a nurse? So in in the military, as anybody on this watching this knows, you're sort of, you know, they guide your career. It's based on the needs of the Navy and the needs of the public health service, which is what I retired from. So I, um, I worked in same day surgery. At some point I went back and got a master's in, in behavioral health nursing. So I would say that I'm a behavioral health psychiatric nurse as well. Um, and then the last 10 years, I was a program, a senior program manager. So I managed contracts for the government. So I've done a little bit of um, a lot of things in, you know, in patient care, but also um, as a as a nurse manager or program manager. And back you mentioned one of the things when you mentioned kind of the compassion, the empathy, one of the things I often share with people um, you know, I say as, as funeral service licensees, we meet people, especially if it's an at need arrangement, you know, like the, the loved one may have gone off to work and had an incident or had a heart attack and, and unfortunately died as a result of that, or whatever the, the sort of acute illness that causes the death, right? Especially in an at need situation. And that's not unlike working in a hospital. People are driving down the road and they have a motor vehicle accident. In every case, in, in nursing and healthcare, as in funeral service, we are sort of the conduit. We're explaining to the families what's going on and we're having to navigate the next steps. We're interpreting information, we're sharing resources, and that that's true in healthcare and that's certainly true in funeral service. So yeah, there's a lot of similarities in the, the everyday interaction on the personal level with families and with patients. Mm -hmm. So we talked about the similarities, but the biggest difference that I guess anyone listening or watching could imagine is that in the hospital or at the doctor's office or in a surgery room, the goal is to keep the person alive or make them better. We're on the other end of the spectrum in the funeral home, the person has died and we can't do anything else to bring them back. All we can do is care for their family. How was that adjustment for you? Was it a hard pivot for you to now think in terms of, I can't save this person or did you struggle with anything emotionally where you wish that you could have or thought that, you know, well, if I were involved in this, maybe I could have helped in some way? Yeah, no, I, it really wasn't a struggle for me. I think maybe because as an older student with older parents, mm -hmm. I also have a perspective of, you know, anticipate, we talked a lot about anticipatory grief, right? When we think about um, working as funeral service licensees and so there's some things, even in healthcare, that based on the diagnosis, we know that absent a miracle, this chronic illness will lead to an, uh, you know, a death because of the prognosis. Um, when I look at my parents who are in their 80s, I see changes and I see, you know, what age and time has brought on, which is very natural. 
And so I think maybe because I was a second degree, you know, second career student, an older student in my funeral service program, maybe that perspective allowed me to sort of see and be able to sort of um, navigate both worlds without great angst. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I would really struggle with that. I would be, I think I would be trapped in nurse mode. Um, and I've actually thought about going to nursing school, but I think my biggest fear would be losing a patient, even though I, I don't know what the the structure is. Does the doctor lose the patient, the nurse, or does the team lose the patient as a whole? In 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 this sort of twenty first century, a lot of, there's a lot of team sort of in they call them interdisciplinary teams. So there's an involvement of you know every specialty, including nursing, um, allied health professionals, the physician, nurse practitioners, PAs, um, any of those ancillary services. So it probably is the team, and that's probably true, Joel, even in an outpatient setting, whether it's a long care facility nursing home, that sort of thing, hospice, they all have in-stage renal disease, people that are on dialysis, which is a large population of society, it probably all is structured like a team. So it is a, it is a loss of a patient as a team. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so you mentioned that you, you have older parents and I know personally, we've talked a lot about some of the changes that they've gone through as a funeral director and as someone who completely understands anticipatory grief and grief. How are you navigating that experience with your parents? Yeah, so, um, you know, as in many cases, and I'm sure your audience can relate to this, whatever you professionally are, um, in the, you know, in the, in the professional world, what you are is sort of brought into your family conversations because you're the go-to. If you're a nurse, you're the go-to for health issues. You know, oh, I have this pain. I have this knot. I have whatever. Um, or I'm going to this specialist. What should I anticipate? What questions should I ask? What should I know? Well, the same is true as a, as a funeral service licensee. So um, I use that as an advantage because I'm always sort of, I never take my educator hat off. So I'm always sort of encouraging conversations. Um, And it's no different in my family than any other family, sort of, um, you know, the the conversation of the the anticipated death or or what is to come. So I'm always trying to sort of uh, educate and advocate for people planning and putting their desires and their wants in writing. And I use holidays. I always, you know, when I do like um, in-servicing, especially for my church, I always tell people the bulk of your family is usually around on the holidays. So take advantage. I mean, don't like let, you know, let that be right after Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah or (laughs) Kwanzaa. Don't let the next words be, oh, have you made your funeral plans? But some way, make sure you kind of bring that into the conversation because you have you know, you have an audience, you have a captive audience. So I, that's what I, that's what I do. That's what I've tried to do. And also sharing, you know, in a sanitized way, sharing some, some not so great ob- observances of families where they did not have those conversations, mm-hmm. where they did not plan and the unfortunate outcomes of that, whether it was the emotions that happened because people don't know, or they're uncertain how to follow through. And also the unfortunate um, outcomes financially when a state planning isn't in place and, and that sort of thing. So, so just using that 
to say, let's talk about it. Let's put things in place. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what is it that you want your, well, before we even get to that question, I know that you are extremely passionate about helping others become funeral service licensees. Could you talk a little bit about what it is that you do to do that? Yeah, so um, I'm going to say my why first. So mm-hmm. I, um, I'm, I'm from a very large family. So I have 11, a blended family. So I have 11 siblings and you can do the math probably, I don't know, times three or four in nieces and nephews. No, not that many, but a lot of nieces <laughs> and nephews. It's a large family because we are a blended family. So as a, as a student, as a student, I'm probably the AB student, but I test very well. I do very well on standardized tests. Mm-hmm. I have, I have relatives, siblings, uh, my husband, my husband's a physicist, very smart guy, but he does not test well on standardized tests. My sister, very, very bright nurse practitioner, a student in nursing school, same nursing school. We attended same nursing school. And yet she did not pass the NCLEX, which is the standardized test for nurses. My mm. niece, Asian major, struggled with that praxis, which is the standardized national test for teachers, but yet a good student. And so those observances, as well as my experience um, as an adjunct mortuary science professor, really made and gave me a lens for the fact that that national board exam for the arts and the science really has been um, a challenge for a lot of professionals across the country. Um, and, And also the fact when I started out formally in our program in April of 2019 um, as a business, at that time, there weren't a lot of resources around um, support for success on the national board. And so, um, so yes, I am passionate about it. I am also, um, you know, whether people um, hear of me or know me personally, one of the messages that I hope is very, very clear is that um, they're bright, they're smart. Uh, they have completed those mortuary science programs, those accredited programs. And my hope is that people are encouraged in the process to success, whether they choose to use us or not. I want them to know that it is not a reflection of their aptitude at all. It's not. It's not. Because I meet professionals every day and they're like, Miss Cran or Anita, I did well in school. I'm a smart person. I know this industry. I love what I do as a professional. I just cannot seemingly um, pass or be successful on that exam. And so I say I bridge. I bridge the, you know, the concepts of the academic program to the components of that MBE so that people can be successful. Yeah. Beautiful. And I have to say that you... That is what you exude, even with me. And I tell you this all the time. You're an answer to a prayer for me. I'm sorry. Love is moving around here in the background, making noise. But um, that is what you make all of us feel like, that we can do whatever it is that we have the opportunity to do. So thank you for that. And before I met you, I really didn't. I heard people talk about mentors and why you needed one and how important it is to have a mentor. And I didn't truly understand that until I met you, Anita. So thank you. Who have been your mentors? Well, I'd say 
um, my first, I'll say my first cheerleader. I don't know if she's really a mentor, but my first and forever cheerleader is my mom. My mom will pump you up and make you think you can lift the world. <laughs> Take it by both hands. I mean, anything, even today in her 80s, I call my mom, mom, you know, FaceTime her if she can figure out how to accept that FaceTime. <laughs> I'm sharing ideas. She's like, go for it. You can do that thing. You can do that thing. And I'm like, she has not even heard the whole, like the whole A to Z, but she's like, you can do it. Make sure you pray, but you can do it. I mean, and I'm like, oh my God, my mom's the greatest. She's such, such an encourager. So she's my first cheerleader, but professionally mentors, gosh, I have a lot. So I will, I will say this because, you know, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm a retired Navy nurse. So in every profession, I have mentors. So I have mentors in the uniform services. Um, one of them, Captain Beverly Dandridge is probably my first mentor in the United States Public Health Service. She's a nurse as well. Um, I have mentors in funeral service. Um, Michelle Reese Wiseman of Wiseman Funeral Home in Clinton, Maryland was my first um, employer. And she also is, um, was kind enough to give me an opportunity to complete my first licensure apprenticeship. Um, Nancy Percenti of Maryland is another funeral service mentor of mine. Um, so I have mentors, like I'm, I have others, but I'll, I'll stop with with those individuals, but I hope it's it's very clear that I think for as many professions that you have, it might be a good idea to have a mentor in that profession because they're going to sort of help navigate some of the landmines, things that you know that's that aren't written. You, you're not going to find them anywhere, but it's it's a need to know in the industry, and and they're going to cheer you on when it gets kind of dark and you feel like, oh, you know, I don't. I don't see my way. I feel like giving up, but I know this is a calling for me. So I'm very, very grateful for those ladies for taking the time and, and being there for me. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but I'm going to tell you the greatest lesson that you've taught me because I believe in giving people their flowers. <laughs> and it was a lesson in ego and clapping for everyone. I had a huge opportunity to do a huge piece of press about two years ago, or maybe a year ago. And my spirit told me when I was interviewing for this process and when I was in contact, each interview I had, my spirit would just tell me, you need to pass this on to a person. I'm not going to say who it was, but I was like, oh no, I want this. I want this. This is for me. This is for me. And every time I would talk to the organizers of this, this, this big piece of media, it was like, you know, this isn't for you. You know, this isn't, you know, you're being presented this opportunity to hold the door open for someone else. But my ego wanted it for myself. Right. Okay. And I remember, I didn't tell you what was going on, but I remembered I remember I called you to share with you some other great news that had happened. And you okay. were so very excited for me, Anita. Like I could hear, feel, and just, I could just sense the, ex the genuine excitement you had for me. And okay. it really taught me in that moment. It was like, if Anita, as much work as she's putting in and as hard as she's working behind the scenes, can be this excited to see me 
get this acknowledgement? Why can't I hold the door open for someone else and genuinely from my heart of heart? Me. Wow. Wow. And I will never forget that. Oh my goodness. Never. Thank you. So thank you for being that, Anita. That is truly who you are. And I appreciate you for that. Oh, thank you so much. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Um, it is. And it, it's, it's a lesson that has been so valuable for me. Absolutely. Um, not only in that moment, but just in everything that I do and being intentional about recognizing the spaces that are for me and for other people. And not only that, recognizing the importance of making space for others. It's not always all about us. And God used you to show me that. So thank you. (laughs) Last question for you before I just give you the opportunity to share about what your you're doing and where everyone can find you and learn about your new merchandise. Um, what is it that yes. you want your legacy to be? Oh, what do I want my legacy to be? Well, I want people to say that I'm a person of integrity, that um, I'll use what you just shared, that um, that I presented opportunities for people to like soar, that I saw something that they may not have seen um, professionally or otherwise. And I just kind of helped them, supported them to kind of grow that, to explore it more. And if it, you know, if it's in their timing and their desire to just kind of push them to push them. Um, cause I know a lot about a, a little bit about, about a lot of things. And so, you know, I can just hear it. I think that's a gift that I can sort of hear people, share vision, their vision professionally or some of their desires. And I can kind of tease that a little bit. So I hope that that's what I'm known for. Definitely in the world of, of mortuary science, I pray that the families that I've served and, and will serve in the future feel like I've been empathetic and, and present to support them through that process. Um, for those individuals that seek me out as an exam coach that they went from, you know, discouraged and not licensed to like pumped and encouraged and, and feeling like I got this, you know, I told people, I want you to go in there and I want you to attack the test. That's how, that's how I really want you to feel like I'm not coming in there. Anymore. <laughs> I'm not coming into the exam. Uh, Pearson view. This is it. I'm not giving you any more money. I'm testing the day and I'm out of here. But you know, I know, I know that people are going from apprentice or you know, they're beyond that point because they're licensed, apprentice licenses, you know, long gone years and years ago, but they're going from unlicensed, but educated to licensed. And that is significant. That's, that's changing lives. That's changing families. That's changing the trajectory of homes because not only what it does financially, but what it does psychologically to know that, you know, this, but you cannot um, you can't give to that exam the way that it wants it so that it, you know, reads past. And so for me to be able to, to support that is tremendous. And, and person after person after person, I, you know, I hope that that's, that's known. As a, as a wife, I pray that, that you know, I'm regarded as, as a, you know, a great partner and a supportive spouse and a great bonus mom, great sister and daughter, um, and a lover of God, I, you know, I hope that's, that's what people remember me for. Yeah, definitely. I'm confident that you will be remembered as all of those things. Thank you. 
Thank you. So before you go, um, I know you have some new merchandise and where can those that need your coaching and your encouragement find you and what exactly do you have to offer them? Yes. So um, on all social media platforms, which is just (laughs) Instagram and Facebook, we don't have Twitter. So Instagram and Facebook, we're NBE Review Coach. Our website is nbereviewcoach.com. And my email address um, is nbereviewcoach at gmail.com. So we're, we're pretty consistent with that across social media and in contact. Um, so we offer two types of um, review courses for those individuals who are testing for funeral service licensure. So we have an in-person or virtual intensive two-day review The in-persons are held here where I am in Woodbridge, Virginia, and Woodbridge is about 25 miles south of Washington, D.C. We offer a single course for the arts. It's a total of 12 hours of academic or didactic um, lecture, and we offer a, a second course for the sciences. Those are held over a 40 weekend for anybody that needs both of those opportunities. We also have an eight week review course. And I like to say that the eight week is ideal, ideal. Certainly people use their own judgment, but that that course is ideal for anyone who's been out of school for more than 18 months or for the professional who has had two or more unsuccessful attempts at um, either exam. That's designed so that we meet for 90 minutes each week as a lecture, and then you receive a two-month calendar that tells you what to study and how much. It's very, very specific, very customized on what to do those other six days of the week. So the Monday is is specific for arts, 5.30 to 7 p.m. when we are in session for a review course, and Tuesdays are designed for the science uh, review course. And again, that's 5.30 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we've been doing both of those in some fashion for the last two and a half years or so. Um, And we have a great success rate. When we look at the national um, average around the arts and the science, those numbers are less than 70%. I mean, for the first time examinee, it's less than 70% for both. And our success rate for the arts is 77% and for the science is 80%. Keeping in mind that most of our clients are repeat examinees. So the repeat examinee rate is even lower than what I've mentioned. So we know we're doing something right. Um, I think in part it is um, the academics uh, or what we're sharing in the lecture, but I also think that it's having someone who's keeping you accountable for your, your time and effort and determination to to kind of get this over and done with. I think it's also the resources. We streamline the process um, so that people know with confidence. One of the things we heard early on, Joelle, was that people felt like they were all over the place. They didn't know what to study, how long, people pulling out stuff, papers from school, quizzes. And when you feel that scattered it's not it's not efficient and it's not effective, but we've streamlined the resources so that we have confidently said, if you give X number of time every day to these resources in this way, you're going to get across the finish line with that exam. So that that's been a win for us. And I think a win for our clients as well. So 
yeah, so that's what we offer. We also have what we designed and put forth um, in terms of merchandise. We have the only flashcard deck of terminology flashcards for the arts and the science. It's about 1200 definitions for each of those areas. Um, these are the definitions that have been approved by the American Board of Funeral Service Education. They are the licensing group or the accrediting group behind the 58 accredited uh, colleges and universities for funeral service. So we designed those about two years ago and those can be found on our website. We love them because again, when you're studying old school way, most of us learn early on in, in grade school, middle school, high school, that um, flashcards are really great. And it's another way that people can partner. I always tell people, you know, you got some family out there, you have friends, funeral home colleagues that want to support you. Take a hundred flashcards to work. When you get a break, you can have them give you the word and you give your own version of that definition back. It's a good way to involve others. But for the kinesthetic or the action learner, being that movement, something different than a book to hold is a great way to learn as well. So you're messaging to your brain a different way to learn and across the board, it's all very effective in um, being able to retain that information for the exam, so. In terms of merchandise, I shared with you earlier before we uh, went into our recording that we now have this shirt that we're making available. It says, I don't know, ace it, aced it on the front. And on the back, it just has national board exam for funeral service in our website. So this is a great, I think, congratulatory um, merch for those that are have tested successfully, or if someone's in your life who you just want to encourage, you know, if I were testing, I certainly would wear this when I'm studying on the days that I just need a little bit more motivation because it's a visual, right? Yes. Some just want to have that visual kind of like licensure on the board, shirt on my body saying, I'm going to ace this thing. And so we're really excited. We give that, of course, to all of our clients um, that are in 2023 and going forward, a part of either of our review courses. So we're super excited. We're always trying to think about what's next and what we can offer, again, in the spirit of um, the national board exam and encouraging professionals to success. So I can just see, um, like you mentioned earlier, you know, when you're, when you work in a funeral home, you become a family. And if you're studying for that national board exam, I don't care how hard you try to try, hide it and keep it to yourself, people find out. And so just being a licensee or a tentative licensee walk in wearing that shirt and letting their coworkers know, you know, I aced it without even having to say it. I can just envision that. Um, But I, when, when you were speaking, you got so technical about the way that students should study. I was going to ask what do you think makes you such a good test taker? Is it just a natural ability or is it that formula? I think it's that formula. I think it's that formula. I also think that um, that it's also like sometimes we never really have an opportunity as adult learners um, to have somebody assess sort of how you learn best, right? Like we know we we say and we know in research there there is the auditory learner, there's the visual learner, and there's the kinesthetic learner. But we don't all have experiences where information has been given 
to us in a way, especially in mortuary science programs, or, or maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm making an assessment that's not true across the board. But there may be cases where we've not all had an opportunity to be assessed and know what our sort of lane and our preference would be, but also to have information, especially as as it relates to the national board, to be presented that way. And so I think one thing that's unique about our program is that we do ensure that we're addressing those type of adult learners. The other thing that I think is unique is that we talk about this whole issue of test anxiety. And I know for sure fact that most programs do not address that. But you all, re research tells us that that same brain that's trying to download information to give to that national board is the same brain that's just wrecked and nervous. And so I'm never, I never tell professionals that you need to not be nervous because that's unreasonable. We're, we're made so that that anxiety sort of moves us to be on time. It moves us to be accountable, to wake up, to get dressed, to be where we need to be. So it does a lot of positive things, but when it's extreme, it can also prevent you from being able to give those correct answers on that national board. So we talk about that. We talk about that in the review course. We talk about how to frame past unsuccessful attempts because it is a reality that you're going back the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth time. That is going to impact you psychologically. So we address that. We address the elephant in the room. And we allow people to verbalize and express how that feels. And then we give you some tools to frame it in a way that it fuels you instead of hinders you. So we address some of the things I think in, in, in a way that's very healthy and helpful that then allows people to kind of go for it and, and be successful on the exam. Yeah. And then a lot of people tell me, Ms. Grant, I don't want to show up. And you asked me if I studied and lie. So I just go ahead and study. So, <laughs> so I think just that accountability, like, you know, every week we're meeting or if it's the, you know, if it's the weekend, people have sacrificed, they made trips, they come to Woodbridge, they've flown in, they've driven in that you you're coming and that investment of your time, you're going to make sure that you're present in the room physically and mentally, and you're going to go for it. And you're going to make sure that you get all that we have to offer. So I think it's a combination of a lot of things that make it all happen. Definitely. Well, we are out of time, but I just wanted to say thank you again for taking the time to chat with me today, Anita. All of Anita's contact information, social media information, and links to all of her services and products will be listed in the description for either this video or podcast. But Thank you so much for everything that you do for death care, everything that you've done and do for me. And I just, I think you're awesome. And I can't wait to have you on as a guest again. I think this is number three or four. <laughs> yes. yes. And thank you so much. And I appreciate you and all that you've done for me because um, you have an exposure and you're a millennial and my brain, I don't know all of the ins and outs of things. And I will often, your audience needs to know, I will, I probably on speed dial. I have Joelle on speed dial. <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So I appreciate your patience and just your encouragement. Um, you know, everybody needs somebody encouraging them. So I, I appreciate all your feedback and encouragement and opportunity to be on your on your platform. That's tremendous for us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Anita. And thank you each and every one of you for listening. 
on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube. Live life, love hard, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Death and Grief Talk podcast. To learn more about The Grave Woman, visit www.thegravewoman.com. Live life, love hard, and we'll talk to you next time.